0: I said Everything gonna be alright Alright, good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, February 20th, 2015. This week is episode 357. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me at at the controls is our engineer, John Faith, and joining us from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick.
1: Good afternoon, everybody.
0: Good day, Cliff. All right, we've got an interesting show today. We have got Ed Ranieri, one of the masters of disaster up in the Cleveland area, talking a little bit about their reality show on disaster restoration and cleaning. We'll be right back with him in a moment. Before we do that, let's stop and thank our marquee sponsors.
1: Marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop visit them at johndon.com
0: clean facts and cleaning and maintenance management magazine your source for cleaning and maintenance news visit them at clean with dot com and cmmonline.com. iaq.net dot com
1: i a q dot net and healthy indoors magazine a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers Subscriptions available at iaq.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services.
0: Okay, you can get streamed shows right from our homepage, iaqradio.com, or follow the link at the top that says Go to Show. From there, you pick the show, and you can either stream or download. And, of course, you can get our shows from iTunes on their podcast section. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
1: Thanks, Joe. win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to CZLotnick at CS.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. To Steve Teens Airways Environmental for identifying the 1900 Galveston Hurricane as the early 19th century natural disaster that claimed the most lives of any natural disaster in U.S. history. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, February 20th, 2015 has been sponsored by Trisca, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website at trsca.org. Now for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Name the man whose 1948 TV series is often credited as being TV's first reality show back to you
0: Joe. Okay, Cliff, I'm going to play the music and then I want you to go ahead and introduce that if you would.
1: Okay. I'd
2: be glad to. It's night. I see-
1: Hey, we do have a star, TV star. His name is Ed Ranieri. He's partner in the Ohio-based Cleveland Masters of Disaster, and he's been in the professional cleaning and disaster restoration business for over 32 years. While traversing the United States cleaning up after numerous natural disasters, Ed put his considerable skills to work and gained additional insights and experience. Ed is an entrepreneur and who admits to getting bored easily, wanted to try something new and different and he decided to take a shot at pitching a TV show to the world. What restoration and restoration companies really do. Home Run, Ed's first TV show with HGTV is called Catastrophe, Inc., in which he and his team traveled around the country and shot 13 episodes, which depict a wide range of restoration. It's my great pleasure to introduce Ed Ranieri.
2: Good Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good day, Ed. Good
0: afternoon, Ed.
1: Wow, a star. I tell <laughs> <I,
2: I, I, laughs> you, that is not some way that I normally get introduced, so I'm flattered. I appreciate that,
1: guys. Well, uh, we're flattered to, to have you. Uh, why don't you start and tell us your history? How did you get into the cleaning business?
2: Boy, it's been a lot of years, and quite simply, it was my father. Uh, how I started is this year, ironically enough, is my dad's 50th year. In the cleaning industry so I was born into this business and I remember as a young man helping him um, you know your parents you're always admirable and you want to learn what they're doing and dad worked a lot I had four sisters and myself so there was there was a lot of mouths to feed so dad worked really really hard and uh, actually he worked three jobs the cleaning part of his life initially was a small portion of it but as the business grew it became a full-time uh, job and full-time position with that on the weekends I would always work with dad you know it was so exciting to be able to work with dad and go to these places with you know whether it be residential or commercial building and get to hang out with him and see that what he did I was always intrigued I loved the craft I loved being with my parent I loved being with my dad it was a way to connect I think most importantly and uh, for many, many years, and I think that both of you guys are going to remember this, you remember the old rotary shampoo? Do you remember when we used to shampoo carpets, guys? Oh,
1: absolutely. I did, for sure.
2: Very, very, my, my very first position with my dad was, and we know that most rooms today, well, most rooms 30 years ago were square rooms, and the rotary was a circle, right? So we'd run into the corners, and the rotary couldn't get into that little 45, that little 90-degree angle in the corner. Right so i had the most astute prestigious position of being the corner boy and i walked around yeah. with a little bucket uh, and some shampoo and i scrubbed those corners making sure that that entire room would match for you know because dad was out there with the rotary machine running it like crazy and i had to keep up with him and make sure that everything matched throughout so it it was it was it's amazing to see the evolution of carpet cleaning and uh, you know where we are today versus my dad telling the story of let's shampoo the carpets and then tomorrow when it dries vacuum it and uh it it, it was it was a heck of an upbringing and I absolutely loved it and I learned not only cleaning and restoration but I learned my entrepreneurial skills from my dad and I sat back and I just listened a lot I remember really
1: just listening to my dad was it strictly a carpet cleaning business or did you do uh custodial or janitorial work as well
2: We were strictly a carpet cleaning business. We were a small mom-and-pop carpet cleaning business, if you will. And as we grew, um, being the ambitious guy that I am, and at times my uh, attention deficit is a little bit limited, I wanted to get into disaster restoration. So I went to school uh, with a local uh, supplier here in the Cleveland market, and I started to learn about water restoration. And that part of the business started to grow pretty quickly uh, just because my dad had been in the business for so many years. So we started to grow into restoration very rapidly. Uh, And in about four years at that point, I had to make a heck of a decision. And it was a decision at that point that I started to do restoration and open my own business and leave my dad's side. And he continued to do strictly carpet cleaning and I went on to do Just Restoration and grew that business, and it was very successful for me over many years. And that's, that's kind of where the, the ride started. Ed,
0: how, how did you get started with, you know, how did you get discovered, I guess? Did they find you, or did you reach out to them?
2: It's odd. Um, I, I must admit you would think that there's some great story be, behind some of the greatest ideas that are out there. But what it was is, candidly, myself and my business partner, we were bored. You know, we're disaster recovery guys. We're adrenaline junkies. I'm okay with admitting that. And as an entrepreneur, we're always looking for the next opportunity. And that's where one day we were sitting around, and it was just some downtime. And my business partner looks at me, and he goes, let's do a television show. And I laughed. I said, a television show? You know, come on. Really? We're we're really, really busy. Actually, at the time that he had pitched it, we were absolutely slammed. I think it was with spring storms. We were running around. Uh, every restoration guy in the world was working around the clock. You guys know what that's like, where you're just going on, you know, two or three hours of sleep probably every two or three days. And he looks at me. He's like, "No, I'm serious. Let's 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 do a television show." You know, he's like, "I think that we can." take what we do and make it interesting and bring it out to the world and let them see what we do and show these people that we really do provide a good service and we really do something that's pretty unique. So we, uh, we made a phone call. We made a phone call to an old business associate that is in Nashville and actually is now our manager. His name is Adrian Michaels, out of Nashville, Tennessee. And when you think Nashville, you think country music and you think nothing about television. Oddly enough, we called him and we said, Hey, Adrian, point us in the right direction. We just want to know where to go. He, ironically enough, about 30 days prior, had launched his first television show. So he was having dinner with our now-productions company that evening. And that's how we were introduced to the world of television, was from an old relationship and a gentleman that was a friend of Enzo's and still is my business partner. And we looked to him really just for like that, Hey, where do we go next? And ironically enough, now he is our manager and uh, the guy who guides us through all of this craziness.
1: So, when you first started, did you use did you hire an agent to, to help you navigate all the legal aspects and the negotiations, or did you do it yourself?
2: You, when you're playing with big networks, you absolutely need help from counsel. And uh, our agent was really privy to a lot of past contracts. So we learned from those. But unfortunately, you've you've got to hire an attorney in today's world. We'd all love to be able to do things on a handshake and say, hey, this sounds great, let's move forward. But you know as well as I, attorneys are going to be involved. And when you're dealing with big, big networks, they've got some pretty sophisticated contracts. So that said, I learned very quickly about uh, um, the legal side of entertainment. And all I can tell you is, is that the attorney that we hired out in L.A. Uh, costed us $1,000 an hour to draft our now talent agreement uh, that we ran with and set the parameters for all of the rules of engagement with Catastrophe Inc. It was it was a heck of a learning experience. These guys are big money. They're doing contracts every day for your Duck Dynasty people, for your really high-profile Ty, Ty Pennington's. Um, and this is all they do is reality TV show work. So we went to them and we looked for their guidance. And I learned that regardless of how much money you spend on an attorney when you're dealing with big networks, um, I think we were able to get two commas changed. <laughs> 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 $15,000 later, and we—you know here we are trying to negotiate. But the bottom line is, is that when you're dealing with networks, and if you're a new kid on the block, you've got something to prove, let's face it, um, you don't have a lot of leverage, we were able to basically get a whole lot of nothing changed. But we learned, and we learned a lot. And we got to meet some great people along the way. But that's something you definitely don't do yourself because it's big business. There's a lot of money that's involved, um, a lot of sponsors, and you've got to make sure that you dot all of your I's and cross your T's on
1: that stuff. Well, from the first show that you do, do you have leverage now going into doing another show, the fact that you're you know a proven entity? Absolutely.
2: Season two, without a doubt, um, as my manager put it, he said, you know, guys, there's going to be that day where you become allergic to water. And I said, allergic to water? I'm a disaster recovery guy that I can't possibly happen." <laughs> and, 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 and he said, no, Ed, stop for a second. He goes, because when the networks want more, you at that point are going to become allergic to water. And he, signed it, he said it kind of tongue in cheek but I then understood that what that basically means is you carry the leverage and you see it a lot or you read a lot about it today. Like I think an extreme situation or extreme uh, comparative factor is big bank theory. I mean, I sit back and I watch that with my kids. I laugh a lot and I hear that these guys are getting or held out for a million dollars an episode and it took probably about two months. And what it, what they did eventually is, is, you know, They did the same thing that my agent told me to do. You hold out, you get allergic to water, and you just say, look, I'm not going to film anymore until we can come to some kind of an agreement. And it gets to be that kind of standoffish point. But if your show has the ratings that it should and you get into a season two, and if you're getting into a season two, that means that your ratings are good. At that point, you have leverage, and you can then say, look, guys, I want a little bit more money. I want a little bit more time. I want a little bit more of this. But in the first one, just like any other rodeo in life, you're out there getting your stripes. So, season two, definitely, my demands are going to go up a bit.
0: Well, Ed, I'm not sure. I get the impression. I watch, you know, like the Swamp Guys and the the Pickers and all. And I get the impression they're not making a ton of money, but, you know, they're doing okay. Is there a lot of money to be made over time in, in reality TV?
2: Don't give up your day job. Okay, <laughs> you know, I what the experience itself was unbelievable. What we got to do, um, where we got to go, the people that we got to meet. Yes, very candidly, though, when it comes down to money, we do, there there is a paycheck that's involved, and it is um, it's a decent it's a decent amount of money. The issue is this: is, is that in entertainment, you have a lot of downtime. You're going to go from shooting basically every other week so you could have a six month lag to shooting every other week again. So in the world of entertainment to make it a full-time job, it would be really tough. But for guys like me that basically are just doing it, using it as a promotional tool for my, for my existing business in Canada, just a hobby and a great opportunity to be able to do something that not a whole lot of people get to do. Not a lot of people get to cross off of your list. It's, um, you know, it, it's, you can't put a price tag on that. So very simply, I would say for the first season, uh, and you, you hear big numbers of like 200, 300, 400,000 for these big seasoned um, shows that are out there, like Big Bang Series. The reality of your first season guys like myself, um, I'm, we're, I'm pretty proud to say that we were earning about 3,500 bucks per week per person okay. and that also included all of our travel all of our food all of our lodging uh, any other incident incidentals um so you know it wasn't it wasn't too bad of money if you actually sit down and con- consider that you if you were doing that every week it's not a bad living but it's not something that again you've really got to be known
0: to be working all the time let me ask. I, I gotta... guess your service
1: business suffered a little bit while you and Enzo and and other key players were on the road. Yes. No.
2: You know that's tough, Cliff. It's you, you know you you want to sit back and say that you've got the best half in the world, and I do. I mean they're great people, but the brutal reality is, is you guys are business owners. Every other business owner that's been in this situation, I don't care if it's when you're going to a convention, uh, vacation. I mean, let's face it, when you're not there steering the ship. Things don't go always the way that you want them to. I, I guess is the nicest way I could put it. And we, did, we didn't really see that probably until about, I'd say, three to six months after you know you get home. You're really caught up in traveling a lot. And we were gone. One week we would be gone for uh, a week, gone for a week, home for a week, gone for a week, home for a week. And you're trying to balance your personal life, your business, and the shooting in doing all of that, and you really don't realize exactly what's happening to your business until you get home and things get settled down and you really sit back and you look at it and you go, wow, um, you know, it, it, it was an unbelievable opportunity. The marketing was great. It has helped us long term, but there was definitely a hiccup. There was definitely uh, some damage, honestly. There, there was a little bit of damage done when you're gone that much from your business And uh, that's something that, you know, looking back, probably one of the things that I didn't plan for, if you will.
0: I've got a text question here. Ed, how much of, at least with your show, is scripted versus, you know, or staged versus them just filming you doing what you do?
2: Nothing scripted, believe it or not, guys. Um, Reality television, and I'm going to give... Great props to my producer, uh, Lori Stryer. They're out of Knoxville, um, Tennessee. And there is not a whole heck of a lot of anything that is scripted. I will say this. If your producer sees something that he or she wants it to go in a certain direction, they're going to help you get there. But they're not going to feed you lines. And the best of our work, every time our best shows, our best scenes, our best, you know, every time our best days of shooting is when our producer really and once it it took us about probably three or four episodes to really get used to the cameras being there because it's really intimidating. You've got cameras and you're mic'd up and you've got lights and it takes a while before you realize that stuff really isn't there and you become yourself when you start to become yourself is when the best television hits. I think that we've all watched enough of the swamp guys. We've all watched enough of, you know, the exterminator guys. And you can tell when it's scripted. I mean, maybe it's just because I've been on the set and I, you know, you can, I've got a little bit better of an insight than the average consumer, but you can tell when this stuff is scripted. And uh, our best work consistently was not scripted. And 99, 99% of the time, our producer would give us the freedom to just let us tell our story and let us do what we did. Um, push us gently into a certain direction, but never, ever, ever set us lines. Never.
0: I would imagine that varies by what type of show it is and, and so on.
2: Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are shows that are more scripted um, out there. Uh, I'm going to say this as far as scripting. Here's something that probably is a little bit more real. Let's add drama to it, okay? Uh, They may not be feeding you a line per se, but they're going to introduce situations into the scene that are going to make it a little bit, add a little bit more tension. That's going to add a little bit more, uh, stress, or you're going to get under somebody's skin, or an event's going to happen. I mean, that kind of stuff may get added in, but as far as scripting, I tell you what, um, they're they're pretty pretty good about letting us do what we do. Cliff,
1: how are the projects chosen? Because you guys are traveling all over the country.
2: Yeah, good question. We thank Gosh again for a great production team. You guys would be blown away what goes into from the beginning of a project till the end of when you actually see it. Part of that process is choosing the person. And I really quick, before I go into it, I would say to anybody who's interested in wanting to be part of a reality show is, is look, there are a lot of uh, networks. There are a lot of production companies out there and you can just search, you know, production companies in well, the three biggest areas are going to be Nashville, LA, in New York, search your production companies because they're always looking for people to put on a show, whether that be a car restoration show, home restoration show. Believe it or not, guys, there's a lot of production companies out there that are looking for people that are willing to do this. So, uh, I think a lot of times it's, it's construed as being some great mystique thing. If you can get on a show, I would tell you that if you want to be part of something, do a little bit of research, go on to production companies, and they're actually looking for people actively. So that's what our, that's how it would go is, is our production company would seek people um, via the Internet. Via, uh, we would advertise um, on radio in certain markets. If we knew that we wanted to go into Florida per se, we wanted to go into Tampa, we shot Tampa there. We'd contact the local radio station there, and we'd advertise it for about a week and put up a telephone number and/or an email address, and people would then send us in their story or their situation, and then that's how we at least got got our pool of people to choose from. And then once we got that big pool, then that's what we started to go and kind of chisel away at and look for the best one.
1: So essentially, the producer would like pick a city, and then you would go there, and then you know, you know, run a, you know, uh, I guess sort through the opportunities. And select one.
2: Yep. Yeah, we would, we would kind of shotgun shell it out first, see what happened, and then we would, where we would get our biggest response would then dictate where we headed. Um, once we got into that general area, we would chisel it down to probably the last 30, and then we all sat together. And from a production standpoint, from a cost standpoint, from a story And I tell you guys, story has a lot to do with it. And I think we can all appreciate that, you know, you watch all the restoration shows out there today, uh, reality shows, swamp, you know, whatever it is, architectural guys, the pickers, um, is is that they're always looking for the character. They're always looking for a great family, a great story. And that was part of the decision. That was a big part of the decision-making process is did they have a good story. You know, did they have some hardship? Did they run across something that they weren't expecting? Uh, because candidly, you know, what we do, don't get me wrong, is, is great. You know, we're out there helping people every day, but it's not glamorous. You know, we scoop poop for a living, guys, let's face it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's less than TV worthy at times. So what you're doing is to integrate it and make it a little bit more entertaining is you're looking for some great stories to go along with it.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you found the subcontractors, you know, in in remote cities and, and support staff. You know, as both of us know, and, and Joe as well, that you know, some restoration projects, particularly those that, you know, involve construction, redecorating, and so on and so forth, those things can really get drawn out. It's not unusual, you know, for a project to take a couple of months in order to get it done. And I don't think you guys had that kind of time, did you? Oh,
2: gosh, No. It, that was hands down one of the more difficult parts that we had to deal with. Um, I talked briefly about pre-production. You know, we had five days to get a job done. That was our time frame. Budgets were set, and that's all that we had. We were flying home whether that project was finished or not. And you better believe we better finish those projects because if not, producers are not happy, networks not happy. So we crammed about three weeks' worth of work into five days. And it was really tough. Uh, we generally ran two 12-hour shifts, 12 of which we would film, and then some of it would be done after hours, and we'd come back early in the morning, and some of the work would be done by a second-shift crews, But the contractor part of it, thankfully, we were overall pretty lucky. Um, but there were a couple of towns where we just ran into you know, less-than-responsible contractors, and it really made things really difficult. Um, but it also made for good television. Because that's sometimes that's the stuff that your producer walks in and goes, Oh man, the wall's not finished where this happened or this happened. Okay, great, here's our next scene. So you took something that wasn't so great and you tried to create something that was good out of it. But the subcontractors we did as much due diligence as we could over the phone. You do as much asking around as you can, you do as much research as you can on the internet, but inevitably, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have that person that you get out there and it's just not they're just not as reliable as they should be. And um, the one that sticks out most in my head was we were in Texas and it was, it was horrible. We were, we got a contractor out there and <laughs> I was installing the carpeting probably about 40 minutes before the reveal, before the people came home. And we were all running around. My producer was painting. Our sound guy was propping. Our, everybody was kind of helping to get this done because this contractor had failed so miserably but we could not walk away from there without a finished product or we'd fail and then the network would say hey guys I don't think we're going to continue to go on you know you have only got so many dollars to get this done so we had to get it done and it it tell you it's just you want to talk about team building it really it really forces you to come together and we got some crazy stuff done in a short amount of time
1: um, you know you're talking about the money I think I guess in many situations, these proceeds came from an insurance company, and you know what happened if you spent more than the insurance company gave you? Because you know some of you know the shows that I've seen you know there were upgrades and so on and so forth. Who paid for that?
2: We always spent more than the insurance companies gave us, and oh. that was that that was a huge part of the perk for the person to let us into their life and into uh, their home, okay uh it wasn't uncommon you know like kind of quality guys is not something that is overwhelmingly glamorous and when you're talking about a network like httv you see what they produce and what they put out it's designer decorator quality stuff which insurance companies they're not going to pay for that kind of stuff right but that was also a huge attracting factor to the families and saying we're going to put you out of your house for about a week week and a half but when you move back home you're going to have something a whole heck of a lot better than what you would have had if you would have just done it normally with insurance. Ed, so we did We did spend a whole heck of a lot more money than what insurance allowed.
0: That's good. We're going to uh, stop for a moment here. We have to stop for halftime, thank our sponsors. We'll be back with the second half. We're, we're having a great conversation with Ed Ranieri the Cleveland Master of Disaster, talking a little bit about uh, the Disaster Restoration Reality Show. We'll be back in about a minute.
1: The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
0: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com.
1: And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products or restoration and abatement contractor shop, visit them at johndon.com.
0: Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at com and cmmonline.com.
1: iaq.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services.
0: All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with Ed Raneri. Ed's the uh, star of a disaster restoration reality TV show. And, uh, Ed, I've got a question on if you if you make a mistake if something gets screwed up do you get a mulligan do you get to refill
2: <laughs> yeah i it, there's a uh there's a great word in the world of entertainment it is called polishing a turd
1: <laughs> i laughed when i heard
2: that <laughs> because you know we're guys that deal with that kind of stuff all the time and thank god for editors and producers because um uh, you do you do in fact get second chances, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's different from basically what we're doing right now. When you're doing a live feed, what is said is what is heard. When you're dealing with a produced show, yeah, you get second and third shots, and there's times, thank gosh, because you know it, it's laughter. Uh, laughter breaks out at times, or there might be something that's said that may not be uh, appropriate. <laughs> we we often when you're dealing with a with a network. Um, like HGTV they're they're a little bit more conservative and you're dealing with uh, my business partner myself and then my other cohort that was with me co-star of the show his name was Joe Charbonneau and um, I'm not sure if you guys at all are baseball fanatics but Joe and anytime that we can say this in Cleveland we always brag about it was 1980 Cleveland Indians rookie of the year right and he was the other guy that was there with me so you talk about redos. get on a set where you're with a ex pro ball player that is probably just one of the most big hearted hilarious guys to work with and sometimes stuff that just comes out of your mouth you know you just flow it's just flowing and and I'm Italian so I use a lot of creative adjectives and your producer is looking at you laughing but we then came up with what we called with. Uh, we needed to shoot another mini series on HGTV After Dark <laughs> <Because> <laughs> <laughs> some of the stuff that we would say, um, you know, may have been appropriate for Spike, but definitely wasn't appropriate for HGTV. Um, so yeah, you you know you would often get second shots. Uh, there'd be times I'd be walking across the living room and I knew that I had to say something. But when you know that you have to say something, inevitably that tongue becomes tied, and then you just you're looking at each other, and everybody's looking at you, and the room busts out in laughter, and your sound guy is just shaking his head, and so you walk back and you try to regain composure, and you know it's okay, let's go action, and you're back into it again, and inevitably once you get into that like that rhythm of laughter or you're messing something up. It just seems to stick. So you, you're going to mess up again, and then another, somebody is going to probably throw a little bit more into it to kind of keep egging it on. So there were, there were times where 10, 20, 30 minutes we would be trying to shoot one scene, and we'd get three-quarters of the way through, and our producer would say, you have to say we, not I. And we would always say I. And, and then we'd just look around at each other, and the first three or four times are kind of funny, but after that it's like, come on. Get get it right. Get it it right. right. So, um, definitely mulligans. And I tell you, the most important people in any kind of tape television is our editors. Editors Editors—they're the people that are just amazing at putting the things together that we see. Because there is so many hours of tape television. What we actually see as the consumer on television—you would just be blown away if anybody really saw the raw footage of what it took to put together a television show.
1: How many hours of film would you folks edit down?
2: We had uh, two camera guys on site, so their cameras were on their shoulders eight hours a day, which we always ran more like 10 or 11. Our average day was probably more like 11 hours. So 11 times two, we shot five and a half or six days depending upon the agenda on some of our bigger projects we would shoot for six days if we were doing a larger construction project but for sake of discussion let's just say five so five times 11 times five uh no i apologize times two cameras we had a lot of hours there you now also you see the gopros which are were just blowing up and are getting to be so common. Everybody's got a GoPro on them for everything. I have, we would have GoPros, which are the little mountable cameras, in a car, um, parked off in the corner of a room, and that's how they did a the time-lapse scenes. These though GoPros. They would run that, that GoPro for the course of a week, and then you get to see that part of the uh, show that's running kind of like at high speed. That's what's coming off of those GoPros is they... Record in very, very, very slow motion, and then they speed it up in the editing bay. Basically, get to see an entire house put together in about 45 seconds. And that's what those GoPros are good for. So we'd have two co- two uh, live camera guys, a sound guy that ran sound for six people, and average three GoPros per shoot. So we probably over the course of a week had anywhere between four and five hundred hours of raw footage. Wow. Four to five hundred hours of raw footage was then chiseled down to
0: 22 minutes, which is a half-hour
2: television program.
0: Hmm. Those editors work a lot of hours, I'll bet. <laughs> it, it takes.
2: It, it took us a week to shoot the show. It would take about three to four weeks
0: to edit it to get it TV-worthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of the process, huh? And what, what types of shows... You know, did you do what types of jobs? I mean, um, hoarders, water damage, fire, etc. And and which were your favorites, and which do you think were the audience favorites?
2: Gosh, we did we did the uh, we ran the gamut. We were really looking for pretty much anything that created any kind of damage. It, it didn't necessarily need to be fire or water we did uh, an event in college station pa where there was a car that ran through a home um my favorite one i would have to say is when we were in tampa florida uh got to meet a ton of great people and that was also a big part of what made or broke some of these episodes and how they went was how receptive was the family and out of the 13 that we did, 12 were extremely grateful. But there was one family that came home, and they weren't so nice to us afterwards. Oh. And, uh, you, you know, it, it's, it's really deflating because you're working your tail off. And then they come in, and, and it's something simple. We're not liking the color of the paint on the wall. And, you know, you're working and working and working. And to hear that they don't like something simple like that, where you've done so many amazing things, that family to bring them back and they hear something ungrateful like that but a majority of them the other 12 the people were great they were so hospitable they didn't want us to leave they invited us back i still talk to some of the people today that we've worked with almost two years ago now we still keep in touch with um great families back to tampa i think selfishly why i like that one is, is the cool part about that particular episode is the guy was a uh, military paratrooper, if you will. So what he did is um, one of the perks is we were working on his house and he came up and we were working on his roof one day and he goes, hey, I get to see what you guys do at work. Now, tomorrow, come to work with me. And we ended up jumping out of an airplane with a paramilitary team that was 13 guys that was the same a uh, crew of skydivers that jumped with President Bush for his 75th birthday. Hmm. And these guys were just unbelievable. It was um, a heck of an experience because it's a tight run ship. They're military boys. You know, It's it's all business. But to be able to jump from 13,000 feet <laughs> was a memorable moment. And, you know, for somebody to do something like that, for you to give back, to show some appreciation for what you did, it just speaks volumes, and it's one of those things you'll never, ever, ever, ever forget. It was so cool. Do you,
0: do you know which show was most popular with the audience?
2: We wouldn't get to see numbers every week. Uh, that That is really privileged information networks use a lot and hold very near and dear to their chest because basically what those numbers are is they're then dictated to Sponsorship. Sponsors are going to, are going to want to know what kind of viewership there was. Okay, but we 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 got to see a couple of weeks, and some of our numbers. Um, you know, your big your big boys, like your brothers, uh, brothers on brothers, uh, which is a big one on HDTV. Homes on homes, those two big shows, and what they were trying to do is a sandwich us in between some of the bigger ones hoping that the audience would either come, stay, or go. And that's how Nielsen, which is the rating company, sees how successful you are. The big guys were getting about 900,000 viewers per episode. We were anywhere between 650 and 700,000 per episode.
0: Hmm.
2: But it was good numbers. Uh, It was really good numbers considering it was our first season, and you're touching a lot of people, and uh, we're still being played. As we speak in Switzerland, uh, oddly enough, we've we've been shown and re-shown in the U.S. We went through Canada. Uh, we are now in Switzerland. We've been on the DIY network. It just keeps getting replayed, which is a good feeling. Uh, networks are really, you know, everything's very secretive. They don't tell you a lot about what's going on until it's actually going on. So... The good news is, is we're still out there and we're still being showed, which is, which is a good feeling, and and it speaks volumes to the probability of us getting a second season.
0: I guess they don't want you to know too much because then you have more leverage in your future negotiations as well. You got it. Unless it's, it's
2: all. It's yeah. And when you're talking about big advertisers like they are with, um, you know, major corporations like your box stores, like your Home Depots. Mm-hmm. You better believe that when you're playing with that kind of money, those numbers are everything. They're paychecks. They're golden. So those are not numbers that the average consumer is not going to know anything about.
0: What What's more important, the, the personality of the people on the show or the topic? Or, I, I would imagine it's a combination of both to some degree, but it seems to me it's it's the personality. Is that accurate?
2: Are you talking about the personality of the people that we work for, or the personality of of our team?
0: Of the team, the people. You know, the like the Gator guys. Uh, you know, the, the one guy that uh, you know everybody loves that guy. I'm sure they want him. Uh, what is his name? Uh, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, you know, I would think the personality Roy- of the people in the show is really important. It's
2: it's everything, and that's I wholeheartedly believe why we had the success that we did and why I had the fun that we did. You're living with these people. If you're not getting along with these people, I don't care how great of an actor you may or may not be, but when you're on set, unless you're getting along with these people and you've got great camaraderie for 8, 10, 12 hours a day and you've got cameras on you and you're mic'd up, so every word that you're saying is absolutely being recorded you've got to have great camaraderie with your staff around you, with your guys around you. And that, it kind of speaks again, you know, my business partner and I have been in business for almost 20 years, so we're great friends. And, and it was kind of easy there. But ironically enough, Joe Charbonneau, who's the third guy was our uh, comic relief, if you will, um, he was the guy that always kept things pretty, pretty interesting. From a comical side, I was more the analytical guy. I'm a little bit more of the scientific guy, if you will. MacGyver was was kind of one of my behind the behind the scene nicknames, and uh, Enzo was kind of more like the doer. He got out there and just was threw sheet threw care to the wind, and he just you know did things and just worked his tail off. And sometimes it wasn't always glamorous the way it happened. So that was kind of our roles, without our defined roles, and without those guys, and Carrie, who was our designer, and she was a really cool designer out of Knoxville. Without those personalities, there's no way that we would have been successful. You've got three weeks' worth of work being done in a week. And now, granted, we had teams and teams and teams of contractors. Normally, in a build, you know, you're lucky if you see three or four guys on a construction job. We would have normally probably anywhere between 25 to 40 guys on a construction job. Hmm. So just the orchestration of making your sub trades work together to get this done in an amicable time, that in itself was a small task, a small miracle I should say, a large task. So, yeah, it, the personalities and being able to work together, and that's probably one of the biggest things that I miss about the entire th- about the entire process, was working with those guys and working with Carrie, and working with our production team because our producer, our sound guys our camera guys, you get to be like family and it's, you get into a little bit of a slump or you get a moment where it's like, ah, oh, things aren't going so well. And you know, you're fumbling on your lines and your camera guy just comes over and he hits you in the back and he's like, dude, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, we all make mistakes and, um, it's stuff like that. It's that team. And without it, we definitely could have been successful where I could tell you that it would have been a long 13 episodes. So yeah, personalities, they're huge. They're huge in, in shows. They make, they're, they're going to make a your series. Cliff,
1: Uh, Ed, have you gotten any feedback from restoration peers, you know, people that you know in the industry on the show?
2: (laughs) Besides you ripping on me, Cliff? (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's been great. I mean, and anybody who knows me, you introduced me as Cleveland Masters of Disaster, but uh, I've been part of a service master franchise in the Cleveland, Ohio market for over 10 years. And that's where I got to know a lot of people, and that's you know kind of the brand that I carried around on my shirt for a long time, so it was really cool. And uh, the, the ribbing that I got from some of my fellow franchise, Service Master franchises across the country, it was pretty entertaining. I think the most common one was... Ed how the hell do you get so much hair gel in your head every day without your hands sticking together, or ed take your 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 gloves off, or come on ed you know you there's something that you can do a little bit better and not look so pretty so i I did definitely get plenty of ribbing, but there was a ton of support. It was really cool to be able to sit down and tell those kind of stories to your friends over a couple of drinks or a cup of coffee or some dinner. It's just uh it, it, it's an unbelievable opportunity. So, yeah, there, there's no doubt. I, I took a lot of beating up, but I think there was a whole heck of a lot more envy than there was beating up.
0: You know, yeah. the show, It you say you have 25, you know, with 20, 25 people on the um, site doing the construction. How do they portray that? On the show does it look like you guys did it with a small crew over five days or do they show that it would have taken you know two three weeks four weeks
2: yeah the latter they show that we're working with a triple team it's very much so if anybody's ever and I'm sure everybody's seen Ty Pennington's Extreme Home Makeover Mm -hmm. and you see the amount of people that those guys have on set and you're looking at the workforce and everybody who's listening to this and you guys can appreciate when you're dealing with sub trades, getting them to work together harmoniously, even when there's three or four guys in the room, let alone 30 or 40 is a small miracle. So yeah, we definitely wanted the public and the camera to capture that. We had a ton of people getting this job done in a very short period of time.
0: That way there's not unreal expectations for people in the industry. Down the road, correct. Yeah, we really wanted to capture
2: as much of the truth and the essence in it as possible. Um, it, you know, reality TV has probably got a little bit of a bad rap. Let's face it; it's getting a little worn, it's getting a little old. And you watch some of it on television, and it's like, come on, give me a break. You know, I mean, there's plenty right. of those kind of shows out there where the the lines are fed, and there's you know, there's it's super scripted, and there's so much drama. But I can tell you from a uh, what you saw on that television in those 22 minutes, no doubt um, the viewership and everything that we did was completely real along the way. And, there, you know, there's hiccups, there's things that we had to fix afterwards. Maybe some route work didn't get done in a timely fashion because when you're running constantly, there are inevitably always a couple of little details that might not get it finished before you're done. But, um, you know, to the untrained eye, it looked like it was completely finished, and most for the, for the most part, ninety eight percent of it was minus a little bit of a, uh, you know, valve being put in over here, or maybe a kitchen sink faucet being put in here, some finish work being done here. But most of it, ninety eight percent of it, was always finished at the end of the shoot.
0: You know, I wonder, was there any mention of? industry standards you know for water damage or you know mold remediation or did you do any mold remediation on this
2: yes absolutely that was uh probably where i was most excited because that was something that i you know is is without a doubt is me and uh a lot of the things that i learned is from from cliff and making sure (laughs) that we're doing things the way that we should be Doing them properly, um, you know, to recite a standard to probably the average consumer on television, it wouldn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But mm. what I did was is I tried to show that there is proper ways of doing things. Um, I remember I was doing some mold in College Station. Uh, it was a baby's bedroom, and I used bioluminescence as a tool for clearance at the end. I was always very methodical about making sure that our PPE was appropriate. I didn't want people to think that we can go into, you know, a sewage infested um, mess lab or anything else with just a dust mask. I wanted to make sure that we were on a roof, we had proper fall protection. So I was absolutely trying to make sure that the consumer saw that what we what we have to go through as disaster restoration guys, as cleaning guys, as mitigation guys, as abatement guys, it's not a joke. You know, we've got to make sure that we're doing this stuff properly to protect us and protect the consumer and protect our employees. So without a doubt, I was always that guy that was looking at our producer going, Hey, we have to make sure that we're doing this properly because otherwise it's going to make us look foolish. And that was, that was, that was the, the MacGyver in me. That was kind of the geek in me, the mold geek in me. That was always kind of grabbing me a little bit and saying, no, make sure we're doing it right. Make sure we're doing it right.
0: Cliff, I know you may have a couple. I don't want to. We're running a little low on time. I don't think we'll do the roundup. Let's just go straight through.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest. I have two. Uh, I guess the first one is I know that you have a short attention span, and I'm wondering what are your current and future plans.
2: I appreciate that compliment, Cliff. <laughs> 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 and I think anybody who's an entrepreneur. Has a little bit of a short attention span. Um, you know, good question. I, I, I kind of say that tongue in cheek. Is uh, disaster restoration? I think shaves many of years off of all of us. More so, it's we are in an accelerated aging process in the world of DR. I love it. I love what I did. I love what I do. I'll never be completely out of it. But am I staying in this disaster restoration industry? Probably not. Um, Is it going to be completely television? I doubt it. Uh, My head is still spinning, and I've got a lot of good things going on right now. I'm heading heading out of the day-to-day ops of disaster recovery. And uh, exactly where I'm going to land the jury is still out on that. I've got a lot of uh, great opportunities. I've got a lot of really cool people that I'm talking with. Um, But keep your, keep your ear to the ground. I'm not going to be leaving the industry per se, but, um, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and chasing fires and um, working on Saturdays and Sundays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and missing a lot of little league ball games. You know, I, I think anybody can appreciate the disaster recovery It's a tough, tough business, and um, I've done my time, and I'm grateful, and it's provided a great lifestyle for me, and I've been able to provide for my family, but there's a certain point where you look, and and unfortunately, it takes us a a while. We have to get older to see these things, and you ask yourself at what expense, and I think that's the point where I'm at in my life now, and I'm not going to ever give up. There's going to be a million different things that I'm going to be doing because you said I've got a really short attention span, But uh, Disaster Restoration, the day-to-day ops, is on its way out.
1: I guess my other question is, I want to see the blooper roll. Do you have a blooper roll?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's on the HGTV After Dark. (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, we have tons of bloopers. and, And it was great. And they actually, at times, would sneak one or two in here per episode. But again, because HGTV was kind of a little bit more of conservative, a uh, conservative network, we had, more often than not couldn't put that stuff in there. But there was so much laughing and so many times that we screwed up. And Joe Sharvin, oh, God bless him again, I mean, because he was the guy that just would come up with these one-liners. And <laughs> we... Or a word of the week, and we would use it until it absolutely drove our producer crazy. And the camera guys, you could just see them shaking their head, and the sound guys shaking their head, and everybody's laughing silently. There was absolutely a ton of bloopers. But when you're working those kind of hours, you you know, you need laughter to get you through.
1: Joe? Um,
0: I guess the, the last question I would have is, you know, with respect to future plans, I mean, would you do this again, knowing absolutely. what you know now? <laughs>
2: yeah, no no hesitation, absolutely. Um, it, it's hard in a short period of time, and I always say, hey, let's sit down and grab some dinner, let's grab a couple of drinks and we'll talk about it. But there's no way that I could ever tell the story and the great opportunity that I had and there was some downside, as I said earlier in the interview, is like it, it affects your business. But what I gained from it, what I am taking away from it, what it has helped make me today, uh, believe it or not, at the beginning of this, I hated cameras. I was vastly afraid of standing in front of a camera. I would teach. I loved to teach. I'd put me in front of a live audience. I didn't skip a beat. On the radio, I was fine. The minute that that light came on in the camera, I froze. So my personal growth, um, was, was pretty astounding during this entire process. And I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was, it was, you met great people. Um, and I think a big part of the reason why we all do what we do is what I guess I've come to call Superman syndrome is, you know, you walk into what is some of the worst situations people have ever been in their life
0: and you help them out of
2: it. And, uh, there's no way that you can't walk out of that door going, that that was pretty cool. I feel pretty good about myself.
0: You know, I, we saw, we had a, I may get the name wrong, Cliff, help me, Dina Dwyer Owens? Yeah. On the show. And then I saw her later speak at an industry event, and she was able to use clips from her show. She was on um, Undercover Boss. Are you going to be able to do the same kind of thing? We'd be able to use some of the clips in some of your presentations down the road?
2: Yeah, I already am. I was just training uh, probably about 70 facility maintenance managers for the Cleveland Clinic. And I opened up with uh, a clip from one of our episodes. So it's kind of neat. It's a great intro, a great way to break the ice and to let people know we're just regular guys. We make lots of mistakes. And it kind of was one of those funnier scenes. Once the public has seen it, it's okay to use all of that stuff, and I okay. will continue to use it because, A, it was great. I'm proud of it, um, and I like to share it, and then if anything, it always brings laughter because there's just some moments where it's like, I really did look foolish when I was doing that. I have to show everybody that moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm sure Joe Charbonneau gets a couple laughs too.
2: That's an understatement. That man <laughs> is – you, you want to have some somebody to travel with that's great – For 13 weeks of your life, uh, a pro ball player that traveled probably two-thirds of his life from when he was 19 to 40. And uh, with guys on a bus, um, pro baseball teams, you could just imagine the stories that we heard and got to live and uh, were part of that. He's an incredible guy. We're we're really lucky that we got him to be part of our team. And uh, he, he made it. He made it a big part of it worth worth doing it for me because again, it's the stories. I think we look at some of the best teachers and the people that we look up to in our life and you go, what was it that was special about them? And I think consistently it's that they're good storytellers and he's a great storyteller and you're able to capture your attention and you want to listen to him. And that's what Joe's great at doing. And he's got a huge heart too. So that just makes it that much easier.
0: Cliff, How did you
1: find him and, and draft them into the show? <laughs>
2: I met Joe at a charity golf outing. We already had, um, his position was already picked. We already had a character, talent for his position. And I remember going to this golf outing, and I had not known Joe. And we golfed with him. And by the end of the 18th hole, um, I said, we've got to get this guy into this. we let him be part of it because... He's such a character. He's got such a huge personality. I mean, Google Joe Charbonneau today and before you even put in C H A R, it's gonna self populate and you're gonna see some really, really great, crazy stories that Joe has done and continues to do and what he does for the community and the guy does not miss a benefit for anything for kids. He works for kids like somebody I've never met before. He actually this is a true story that he gives to a fault the guy has three dollars in his pocket he'll give 325 he's the only person that i can wholeheartedly absolutely say that that statement is true gives full, and how do you not envy the heck out of that so i briefly what we did is, is i said to my producer i said i want you to meet somebody and she flew back in here from cleveland made a special trip to meet joe because i was so emphatic about wanting him to be part of this show and my business partner Enzo was too he's like it's, it's a it's a slam dunk. We've got to get this guy to be part of the show. So she flew in for the day. We hung out with Joe. Next thing I know, she's got her iPhone out, and she's taping Joe uh, in our conference room at our office, impromptu doing what Joe does and just kind of being himself, and she's just running with these certain things, and she brought it back, and in less than 24 hours, the other guy was fired, and Joe was part of our show. Very cool. Yeah. So it, it, going back to that personality and is it all about the people that you work with, there's, there's no doubt because I look at what that first guy was and I look at what Joe brought to the show, and I know that we wouldn't have been nearly as successful as we were without having a personality like him on board.
0: Well, Ed, thanks for joining us. Is there anything we missed that you'd like to get, you know, make sure our listeners hear before we go?
2: I think we did okay. For yeah. not being a Ph.D., guys, I know this is a different topic for you. I'm not a CIAH. It's a different tone to your show, so I appreciate the opportunity, and I hope that you found it useful and entertaining, and I was able to tell a couple of stories that um, hopefully the guys that were listening also found it entertaining, and and I appreciate it. Um, I always like to share uh, and teach, and my dad taught me very early on that everything we have in our mind is useless unless we share it with others. So that's kind of my goal as I move forward too. And uh, thanks, I tell you, it, it's been a great ride. And Cliff, we've had so many dang years together. Oh yeah, absolutely. When, when you when you called and said, "Can I do this?" It was like, absolutely. I would love to. Um, right. it, it, that was that was an easy answer.
0: Well, it's great to have you. We appreciate you joining us. I, I look forward to you know seeing what uh, what life throws at you next. That should be interesting. Season two is being pitched as we speak.
2: We shot a sizzle reel, which is a promo reel, probably about two months ago. Uh, Networks are allegedly talking about it now. So the new rendition, what I can tell you, is dirtier. Uh, That's what the consumer is looking for. They kind of want something that's a little bit more real, a little bit more dirty, a little bit more real life. And uh, that's the way we pitch the second show. And I can't say too much more than that. But if all goes well, maybe within the next year we'll get to see a season two.
0: Fantastic! Great to
2: great. Uh, Thanks, um, my
1: friend, for for joining us. We really it, and I'm sure our audience did as well. Nice comments on there, and it's good. Thank you very much, guys.
0: We'll see you soon. Thank you, Ed Ranieri, for joining us today on IAQ Radio. It was an interesting show, Cliff. It's always fun to have a little change of pace. Right for sure. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to our guest, Ed Ranieri, of course, to my engineer, John Faith, to the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And, um, by the way, next week, we've got one of those Ph.D. doctor guys on, uh, Dr. Siegel. Jeff Siegel is going to be joining us. He's with the University of Toronto. He's got a couple of very interesting research projects and and real world type projects. We're going to talk about some filter forensics and uh, microbiome and so on and so forth. Looking forward to having him join us next Friday at noon and of course thanks to all of you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.